0: You having your problem, <clears throat> Mr. Technology is not in <laughs> sync today.
1: No, no. Mr. So, Tech is not on his game. All right, I'm blowing up multiple times here trying to get the recording to start, but we did start, and now we're gonna start. Okay, you ready?
0: Wait, we did start. And yeah, we started. We're going to start. Boy, is that a, is that a
1: Are you finished? So we're gonna. This, um, when you're I flustered. say you're all flustered, I I'm totally flustered. <laughs> when I say corporate worship service. <laughs> What do you
0: think? I think uh, Xerox or uh, Hewlett Packard or IBM or uh, General Motors corporate, you know, worship service corporate, and and yeah, I, I we need another way to think about it.
1: Okay, what do we do on Sundays? What do you call that? On Sunday morning, gather gathering
0: into His presence, to hear from Him, respond to Him to fund what he's doing and respond and enter in and be sent out. Well, that was a little more complicated than it needed to be. We gather, we hear, we respond, we eat, and then we get sent out. that gathering function shapes us as a people into his mission. So, why are you on your phone right now? You're supposed to be doing a podcast. Hey, we are podcasting. Oh, man. Somebody text somebody.
1: Talk about somebody who can't be present with what you're <laughs> supposed to be doing. You know. My wife is, texted me, I'm like, hey, I'm this podcasting is, this is kind of like Fitch is you, ranting, I got at least five more minutes, but then you cut it off short, so <laughs> well, you you well, caught me. We well, I
0: mean, just, just lost half our audience because <laughs> of that comment. Doesn't matter, but you know, think about it. Uh, the idea of coming into his presence has been lost in modern worship. And it is exemplified by the fact that we can't get off of our stinking phones to be
1: present with one another, never mind present with God. Oh, now you're millennial bashing again. Millennials don't bring Bibles to church because they have it on their phone.
0: Really, yeah, okay, you can call it millennial bashing, but I <laughs> I know plenty of 50-somethings that do the same thing with their phone.
1: True, okay, so today we're gonna to be talking about worship, the worship gathering, what you do, whatever you call it on Sunday mornings, That's what we're going to talk about. We're not talking about what is a whole theology or practice of worship as we find it throughout the ages in Scripture, but we want to focus on the contemporary, not contemporary, oh my goodness, the the gathering of God's people on a Sunday morning. So can we talk about that today? Amen. From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsklau and David Fitch. When it comes to the, uh, now, we're not going to quibble about this over and over, okay? I'm just going to say the worship service, and you're just going to be okay with that.
0: Can we say the worship gathering? The worship gathering. So, Sunday morning on the worship gathering. Service is like a word that doesn't really work anymore. It's kind of like liturgy. The other day in our our leadership meeting at Westmont uh, Peace of Christ Church, I said, even though... uh, So somewhere along the line, seminarians, especially evangelical or ex-evangelical seminarians, started to use the word liturgy again, and now it's cool. But actually no one else understands what we're talking about. And I said, let's just ban. How about us just ban the word liturgy from our... Uh, language here at this church, so that other people can like figure out that, oh, this isn't some kind of weird archaic thing from the 14th century that I now have to figure out, but I can just enter into a uh, a world where I'm able to worship and interact with God in His presence.
1: So you put a five-year ban on the word liturgy, just yeah. like we put a five-year ban on the word organic? Well, uh, I don't believe that
0: I can unilaterally do anything in this church, and they would be the first ones to tell
1: you that. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I suggested it. I proposed it. Can I propose we put a ban on the word liturgy? Okay. So when it comes to the worship gathering, we could kind of break, out, break down uh, approaches. And these are, again, you know, a little cookie-cutter but they exemplify some patterns. There's a, the propositional approach and maybe the experiential approach, and we'll save the third uh, for later. But the first two, propositional. This, this is kind of a discipleship perspective, perhaps, or a theological commitment. Uh, this posture, it engages the head. It really thinks that the world of ideas is the most important about who we are, focusing on how we think. And then when it comes to evaluating a worship gathering, it's really focused on doctrinal correctness like yeah, is so, this true
0: So just to clarify yeah, because basically we're I think we're riffing off of uh, this chapter. Oh my long, goodness I see a great giveaway long ago yeah this book the Great Giveaway it's chapter four um, And the, oh the title of that chapter is Why Worship takes Practice. Uh, but anyways, I think what we're getting at here <clears throat> when you use the word propositional or experiential is uh, the assumptions about that we carry into worship about the way things work. So it used to be um, that the assumptions about the way things work were totally propositional. In other words, we'd go to, this is in the evangelical world, the modern evangelical world, so the service. It's very important to A, have good hymns that get doctrine right and that you are in essence reciting when you sing it and b get a good sermon that teaches you propositionally what you need to believe Mm -hmm. and then take good notes and uh, try to apply it cognitively to your life after you leave that would be the propositional understanding of the way things work right you know any churches that are still like that today
1: sure i think there's all sorts of churches can you give us
0: some examples
1: You want me to to name churches? Who tends to be
0: propositional?
1: I think churches that are characterized by uh, reformed kind of
0: heavy emphasis on the Bible as the center.
1: They'll come. uh, So people who are reformed in their worship, or maybe even Baptist in certain ways, the sermon is the high water mark of a service. Um, People
0: don't even come and get. I mean, people feel free to be late to church. Yeah, just just as long as you make it for the sermon. And the sermon's fifty-five minutes long. Yes. Yeah, and, and people so, are taking notes and trying like heck to pay attention.
1: Right, and this isn't just uh, like the pastors who are organizing worship this way. It's the congregants who have now been formed into a certain kind of mentality, right? And then they'll come. They'll want to know the first thing they want to know about the church is do they do they hold the Bible you know in extremely high regard and do they preach the Word yeah, and things
0: so, like that? And we went through this a little bit last week or whenever wanna, we were talking you want to talk about I'm preaching, preaching. Right. so yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, on the other hand, there's the second. Uh, well, hold on.
1: So what are the some of the, before we go on to there. So we've been using the word propositional. That just means statements of truth. So you're just stating things, you know, so we're sitting at a round table. That's true. We're sitting, uh, you know, with a, a MacBook Pro recording this program. So that's true, right? God is good, and that's true. And the, you know, right. So it's just statements of truth that we're focusing on. But what's the short, what are some of the shortcomings When we're reducing a service of our gathering service of worship to primarily ideas, what happens to uh, us long term?
0: The biggest problem here is that it doesn't engage the mind, body, soul. It assumes that the individuals are all on the same page, they're all understanding the same thing when they hear the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so, really, there's no social formation. Or spiritual formation, meaning personal formation, <clears throat> and uh, um, but it works really effectively when everybody's already on the same page, and we just need to reinforce what we believe. And by the way, we do need to reinforce what we believe. That's why historically, the church has um, together recited the creed as an affirmation of truth for our lives. So it's not illegitimate function. it's just is, it's an over focus on that part of what worship service does, an excessive focus on that.
1: <clears throat> Excuse me. And it treats uh, discipleship as if it's getting the ideas correct. It treats people as their disembodied brains. Mm-hmm. Who need to be filled with information? That the purpose of a worship gathering is to get information from the one brain, which is usually the preaching pastor, to all the other brains, which is all the other people. And as long as those people can walk out saying the right things, now discipleship has occurred, and transformation has begun. Yeah. Now, certainly, what we think about the world and ourselves is important, is of vital importance. But how do the two
0: go together? Is the issue
1: right? Right. How do they? How do they go together? Uh, someone like Richard Rohr will say things like, I don't usually think my way into a new way of living, but I live my way into a new way of thinking. And so this talks about how we're creatures of habit and we are ingrained in these kind of ways of living and no matter how much we think about things, uh, oftentimes those don't change without some sort of other transformation. So those are some of the shortcomings of a propositional kind of understanding and certainly no pastor I know is gonna be like, yeah, our service is propositional. But if you go and attend and think and hear about what is emphasized, what's planned for, um, what's given value, you can find out, yeah, they, the idea is the most important thing, but it's not always the most important thing for churches. There's also the experience. This moves us into the second one. So what is this experiential kind of focus on a worship gathering?
0: Well, I think here the, um, the focus is on obviously experience and uh, having a, what we used to call, a worship experience. Did you have a good worship experience? Almost like it's kind of a hallucinatory in some way. But anyways, <laughs> uh, you know, and and uh, it's like Josh McDowell says, it's not good enough to know know what you believe. you got to have an experience. And this, of course, is, if I can just throw some old names under the bus, this is Schleierbach. And Finney. And, bless his soul, Charles Finney, and every evangelical since. Uh, You gotta have a personal experience. It's not enough to believe, right? This is the old idea that, you know, cold orthodoxy is not enough. It's not enough to believe and have assented and said you trust by faith in Christ to receive your salvation. You must now experience it. And there's a little bit of the holiness movement in there too. So often well I mean what kind of what kinds of churches are experientialists in, to the core in their worship?
1: Well, I threw the people under the bus last time. Why don't you say it? you you were mentioning the Wesleyan holiness, some depending uh well, on the Charismatic movement, Pentecostal, movements, Pentecostal and sisters? Yes, absolutely. there's a commitment to the experience to the Holy Spirit which is you know and again these things aren't bad necessarily just like commitment to truth isn't bad commitment so to the presence of the Spirit is not bad but sometimes it can get disconnected from other things yeah yeah yeah
0: somewhere along the line let would say somewhere around 1965 experience became very important uh, the uh, boomers who were now <clears throat> hanging out at Woodstock I think that's actually 68 or 69 uh, they were hanging out at Woodstock having an experience and it was all around you know drugs rock and roll sex etc experience became the ground of truth and by the way it still is largely in our society in as much as we are migrating away from a total trust in experience we now are into produced experiences as the signatory of a valid, authentic way of life. And so you gotta show me an experience. And so somewhere around 19, the 70s and 80s, rock music started getting incorporated into worship. And now we have what I called in the great giveaway, a feel good pep rally as the sign that we have experienced God. Is it all fallacious? No. Of course not. I mean, uh, good doctrine, good belief, good practice should produce a robust experience. But sometimes we can cheapen experience or sometimes we can just uh, rev up experience based on false pretenses. I mean, there's nothing worse than than a guy or a woman walking into a church service and the uh, worship leader goes, okay, everybody, let's stand up and give praise to God. Praise the Lord for everything He's done. Let's be happy. And then, and 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 let's say this said person has committed a grievous act of sin, and probably needs to get, probably needs to come before the Lord and encounter Him in a different way. Uh, but he might just be revved up into an experience which uh, elides his happiness with his sin. Pretty soon. You can become someone shaped to feel good about your impending divorce or something like that. Whereas we, no, that's not authentic, that's not real, that's contra. Did that make any sense?
1: What did you say? So you're saying if someone's going in with grievous sin, I'm going to do- divorce my spouse. I get to a feel good pep rally, I get jazzed up, and then I just interpret that as being God actually wants me to get divorced because otherwise Cause I, had I feel an experience
0: bad. It's with God. And I, you know. Uh, I was going to say something like, I just spoke in tongues, it's a sign, everything is cool, I need to go divorce my wife, or something like that. Anyways, that that just goes to show that sometimes experience undo itself can lead us down the wrong track. I'm not saying anything that revolutionary. But, you know, uh, experience treats emotions as if it's the end of truth. Look, I know people that believe, and that if we had a good cry on Sunday morning, God visited us. It was a sign mm-hmm. we had good worship. Right. Or it could be that I just had a bad uh, omelet for church or something. Uh-huh. I didn't get enough sleep. Yeah. That often happens to me, by the way.
1: Right. Lack have- of
0: sleep leads to emotions, leads to me preaching and blah, 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 all over the place. Crying in the middle of a service, So on both (laughs) nothing wrong with it. We're going off the track. Please get us back on track. In
1: both of these frameworks you could have an emphasis on ideas or an emphasis on experiences. Uh, And then you can go away uh, maybe evaluating your worship services either as someone who leads them or someone who participates them and saying Oh, the word was preached. The truth was declared. That must have been a good worship service Whether or not hearts were changed as people were drawn near to God, you know We don't know but the truth is proclaimed or on the other example. We had a really moving experiential emotional worship service and therefore we can now judge good or bad that God was moving and at work uh, but whether or not people's lives are transformed and drawn out of sin, it's hard to know. And I mean, in one sense, evaluating a, a, a worship gathering is almost a fool's errand because God works so differently in each of us. And this kind of gets back into in your preaching. You can, usually, you can often think you did a, a horrible sermon and then people come back to you and they're just like moved by it and you're like, uh, that was terrible. Yeah. right? So, that's, so, so, it, so if, we're not, this- if we're neither focused on ideas nor merely on emotions, what is an alternative. Oh wait, were you not going to transition? That well, was an awesome transition to the next topic, but now you're going to backpedal. Okay, go ahead. No, no, I, I just
0: wanted to summarize okay. by, by using the title from chapter four in the great giveaway uh, from uh, like over 10 years ago now. Why worship takes practice toward a worship that forms truthful minds and faithful experience so it's not just uh, any experience but faithful experience it's not just uh, a reinforced mind but a truthful mind with myself and with those around me and then i put in parentheses not merely reinforces the ones the minds or the experiences we walked in with this is a transformative encounter with the risen christ that that? shapes our minds and shapes our experience to be truthful and faithful before God.
1: So what does that mean? What does that look like? How How would a worship service look that was more formational rather than merely propositional or experiential?
0: Well, I call it formative encounter. Um, And and so here, really, at the center and core of our gathering is the gathering around the table and the encounter with the living Christ and His presence in the preaching of the Word and His presence at the table. And so... Uh, there are basic things we do that shape us into that. Um, But, you know, uh, so um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, as opposed to preaching uh, and opposed to uh, merely singing, we gather to be present with God and allow our imaginations to be shaped by God in his presence. Does that help at all?
1: Well, I think the word imagination is good. We brought this up quite a bit in our preaching um, podcast a couple weeks ago, is that the imagination is kind of how the heart and the mind are integrated and moved to action. It's uh, seeing something and following after it. It's, It's actual. And when we talk about like the end of a worship service, it's always calling for a response. We should be led into something. Yes. Uh, ourselves and our whole beings. And so our worship services uh, engage the whole person through art, meditations, visual things, as well as singing. Um, they, they're prayerful in yeah. that sense. But they're also organized in a, certain, um, in a certain format, which we call call and response. So there's a sense that if things are formative, it's because we're, as you were saying, encountering God, the living Christ by the Holy Spirit. And whenever there's an encounter with God, there's always a transformation. And so we work that into our services with call multiple chances for calling God, calling us, and us responding. So we have a time of silence. Uh, we have a call to worship. We have scripture readings. We have all so, these different things that are different. Call and response, all and, leading toward the table. And we we call we used to
0: call that at Peace of Christ liturgy. We banned that word last night. But anyways, we used to call that liturgy, right? The right. liturgical. Every, every every service has a liturgy, um, and and yet the the actions that you're describing take this person or the self out of control and put them into something happening that we are invited to participate in. Each of the prior two kinds of worship propositional leaves me in control i'm the one dissecting and figuring out the words and making sure i understand them and taking good notes and walking out with something to do cognitively the experiential still puts me in control it's about my self expression authentically that that becomes the good in our worship service. Here it's about the submission of myself, the posture, submitting myself to God and his presence and responding to what he would say, do, or present himself uh, as to me. And so often the responses are prayer of faith, confession of sin, all these things happen in the historic liturgical services, Lord's Prayer confession of sin uh, an act of uh, I mean an act of submission is prayer I submit this thy kingdom come thy will be done I give you my life for your kingdom and your purposes Um, there's an act of faith sometimes God's calling me to respond to him to take some action to obey and respond in obedience in my life And something he's calling me to and these are the kind of things that happen out of our engagement with the liturgical uh, rehearsal of God, His story, the reading of Scripture. Notice how we read Scripture. We don't just read one text and take notes. We, we read the whole story, a text from the Old Testament Psalm, the uh, epistles, and then ultimately the Gospels, and we submit to that that is our story. You know? We just don't read one text and now dissect it. We, go, we, we prepare ourselves by being silent before God, getting rid of all the distractions, and focusing our attention on God. When we sing, we just don't sing to self-express something we feel. You know, Don Miller went into that thing like two years ago, and I can't no longer go to, I can't sing anymore in worship. Well, that, that, that's a self-expressive kind of theology of worship. I can't sing! It doesn't do anything for me anymore. Whereas, I submit to say I had to learn, I can't sing either. I really don't like singing. I mean, I do when I'm at a rock concert, but somehow walking in on Sunday morning and somebody saying, let's get up and praise God, I'm going, oh, please. I so do not feel this yet. Can you give me a little beat? Can you you do something funny? Uh, Can you get me warmed up? You know, it's like a a rock concert. Well, no, actually I submit to praising God and giving him thanks as a result of what I've just heard from the gospel preached or what I've just received at the Eucharist of his forgiveness, his new life, his transformation in my life. Then it's like, okay, Lord, I just want to submit and praise to you. And out of that praise, my being is shaped into thanksgiving and receiving of God and an openness to what he would do in my life as we leave and are sent out that, that Sunday morning.
1: And so... Everything that we're doing in a worship gathering, if we're pastors or people responsible for creating or sustaining a worship gathering, we shouldn't be asking primarily questions: Is this true or is this moving? You know, is this stirring me? But how is this forming us? It's a formation question. Is this prayer? uh, Is it inserting us into the story of God? Is it uh, recasting our hopes and expectations for our lives and other things? Is this song? speak words and lead us into a place of being able to celebrate God and, and the sermon and different things like that.
0: Right. Um, some of the, uh, so, so the most important time for me to be present in the gathering is when I'm believing the least, <laughs> when, I, when I'm doubting God the most, when I'm feeling nothing for God and when I'm actually feeling like God doesn't exist Mm-hmm. That's the time to go, sit, be present to God with the people of God. And he has promised to be there at the table and in the proclamation of the gospel and to inhabit our return of praise to him. And so, yeah, um, if, you're, if you're going because uh, you want to be moved, uh, that preset purpose... And tell us of this. You're probably going to have to go find. I don't know. For me, it would be Led Zeppelin, Grateful Dead, or something like that. Uh, You know, if you're going there to somehow get a brilliant sermon that'll convince you that God is still there, probably today. I don't know if that's going to work. But if you can go and submit your all your who you are and all of your doubts and all of your pain. Into the presence of God and allow him to be there with you and hear from him and receive from him that's why and be transformed by him that's why Sunday morning the gathering which is so most often on Sunday morning doesn't always have to be on Sunday morning but that's why being present with a group of people around the table is so important
1: and when we think about the Sunday morning worship gathering as a place of formation it really helps connect Sunday with the rest of the week is that everything we're doing here, we're learning how to pray. You should be praying throughout the whole week. You're learning to submit your feelings and your ideas to the Lordship of Christ. You should be doing that all week. You're learning how to be silent and, be listen silent to, and to listen to God. We should be doing that all week. Uh, being we're, sent out into mission uh, individually and corporately. You should do, be doing that all week. And you should hear the gospel as often as and possible. You should be receive the scriptures. By your neighbors.
0: Or your, and, and you should every time you gather around the table. You should know. Jesus is present when two or three are gathered around that table. It's Emmaus Road every, every night at 6 o'clock at my house when my wife, uh, it's not always my wife, but sometimes I do cook, by the way. Well, okay. no I Continue don't. on. No, I don't, <laughs> but sometimes I do bring home Polish food from <laughs> okay, <laughs> close enough. But, but whatever it might be. We'll call that cooking. That's the Emmaus Road there with whoever we have present around the table. So anyways, yeah, the important thing to realize in that whole thing, and sometimes I think we forget this, is we don't have to, even though we're we're doing the prayers of the people on Sunday morning, we don't have to do every prayer of every prayer. We don't have to do an hour and a half prayer on Sunday morning, because that just starts us in the motion for the rest of the week. It doesn't accomplish the full task right. of all the praying for the people. Likewise, we don't have to preach everything we need to know, we just need to proclaim the gospel for this moment and carry it on through the week. So a service doesn't have to be 10 hours. You can get it done in about an hour and 15 minutes, in my opinion. But that's just
1: me. So, and what we're saying here that worship, corporate worship, oh sorry, I did it again, the worship service, the worship gathering, whatever we're calling it, doesn't have to follow a particular format. Uh, We're more of the liturgically oriented of the coming from the historical traditions. But any style or format of worship should take into consideration well, how is this forming us for... Into an
0: encounter.
1: Into an encounter with Christ that can be available, in a sense, all week long. It's too often when worship services are primarily propositional or experiential those are... Ir, uh, they're not repeatable, right? I can't... I, unless I were to... And maybe people do this. Unless I were to listen to my pastor's sermon every day, I'm not going to get that truth. Or maybe I listen to... Uh, seven different sermons from different pastors all over, you know, the world and I'm listening to podcasts or if I'm Constantly li- listening to my worship music and either of those things are wrong But are those yes, they Lord. are wrong. Are, are those things that you're escaping out of the practice of mission or is your Sunday morning worship time? creating uh, a Consciousness and awareness of how God's at mission all throughout the week and, and equipping you and helping you rehearse It's like a dress rehearsal for all of life. Yes, it is. All right, any last thoughts as we wrap this up? No. Um, whenever you spring
0: a question like that on me, um, I'm going to say no. Just because I... All right, what
1: about now? I didn't spring it on you now. Any last thoughts? No. Okay. So, uh, upcoming events, we have the Missional Learning Commons, which we mentioned over and over, coming up November 6th and 7th, and that's actually going to be on the of Preaching. But before oh, I got that... Two, I got
0: two points just to... Okay, hold
1: on. But before that, we're gonna be doing a live podcast on October seventeenth, Saturday, October seventeenth, at two p.m. here at Northern Seminary. It's for Founders Day. Dave and I are doing a workshop, but we decided to make it into a podcast. And maybe I could talk to the advancement people. Dude, I thought like. I
0: had another obligation.
1: I think. Dude, we already talked about it. You uh, gotta okay. leave. Okay. See, this is the anyhow. So we're gonna do this live podcast. And maybe if you come and say, "Hey, I'm coming for the podcast." Maybe we can get you some sort of door prize. Like, at least all three of you could get, like, a pen or something. Dude, this is so cheesy of you. I I
0: can't believe you're even going this low.
1: That's cheesy. Bribing people to come? Yeah, a
0: pen, too.
1: What about, like, a notebook? (laughs) What about stationery? The whole thing is cheesy. I could steal a couple envelopes with Northern printed on it. Moving on. Okay, what, what are your last two points? Let's just wrap years. it up.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, I don't have a book that I've been reading this week. Uh, frankly, I've been too busy to read this week. But um, Bob Weber's Ancient Future Faith uh, is, uh, you know, Bob Weber, who, who his last seven years of teaching ministry was here at Northern Seminary and became a good friend. Uh, he wrote Ancient Future Faith, which kind of helps you uh, get on the road to understanding worship in the way we're talking about. Likewise, uh, Simon Chan, have you ever read liturgical theology? Love it. Yeah, that might be another good place to start. to deepen... Weber also
1: has Ancient Future Worship. Yes. And faith, and time, which in, talks about the in, liturgical in calendar. In my
0: opinion, both those dudes are great, but, um, but they lack an understanding of how to contextualize liturgy.
1: Which we didn't even cover.
0: Which is a big, huge issue for me, and we're not going to cover it this time. But so let's do a contextualizing on the need to contextualize liturgy. There are too many liturgical purists out there enforcing their historically accurate liturgies out of the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. Nothing that there's anything wrong with it. Not that there's anything wrong with the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. But hey, it was written like 450 years ago. Hello, mm-hmm. there's some people who are just not going to... We need to make it accessible. So, I digress.
1: Contextualizing Uh, worship, we should do that next time. Not next time. Or soon. Okay. All right. Signing off from Northern Seminary. Griffith Conference Room. Griffith's Conference Room. This is Jeff Holsklau and... Dave Fitch. Dave Fitch. We will talk to you. Twitter handle.
0: Fitchest. (laughs) And yours is...
1: Jeff Holzclaw. Find us there. Find us on Facebook. Uh, Yeah. We'll talk to you. Bye.